Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is for Fox's sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox's Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airwaves is Rob Hayes. Hey Rob. How are you Pete? Still locked down I guess. Yeah, still locked down. You're not. You're uh, doing good work. You're one of the key workers as we said uh, before we embarked on our uh, hopefully fabulous series regarding what ifs. Um, we've we've kind of stopped at three because they are pretty much the three big questions. What would have happened if Nigel Pearson stayed on as manager in, in 2015? Would they eventually have won the league? Uh, what would have happened if O'Neill stayed? And also the 63 question, which was interesting. Hopefully everyone enjoyed those. They were very uh, entertaining, I'd say, actually, to make because... A, it gave me something to do, enjoying the nice weather we had when we were making those. It was nice to basically sit in the garden, go through books and read stuff and watch a few YouTube clips and some historical films on Leicester and basically just increase your knowledge on what's happened in, in yesteryear. And, and they, were, they were very entertaining to make for me. I liked them. Hopefully everyone else has liked them and they basically pondered questions because it's not the definitive answer hopefully it just encouraged people to actually go and discuss what actually would have happened if so and so happened and it just shows you the timeline of a football club if you sit with the or fossils and foxes book or you just look back over the history of the football club just the fine margins and the timeline that's actually happened and what could have happened and the changes and and, and what small things have massive effects in years to come yeah we talked about a lot of alternative realities during those three episodes. And if you haven't yet listened to them, what on earth have you got to do that's better than spending an hour or so reminiscing, I guess. But there were a lot of key decisions that we that we talked about that, that changed things for Leicester City. And if you take the Nigel Pearson one, for example, changed things for the better. You know, what if... We didn't really talk about this on the on that particular part of the podcast, but what if his son hadn't been embroiled in that controversy in Thailand? Would Leicester City have, have won the league? No. So technically, we've got James Pearson to thank for Leicester winning the title. You know, we, we kind of stuck to some kind of realism, but we did go off on a few tangents. So they are entertaining to listen to. You can find them in the usual place if you haven't yet found the time to listen to them. I think actually, Rob, what we should do, we should address one thing straight away because uh, uh, we have had uh, a, a very nice email uh, regarding basically what we did in the episode would we have won the league if if Nigel Pearson stayed on as, uh, as manager. And um, it's interesting because we created the alternative timeline, but we included one major kind of flaw amongst many because it is basically a load of not nonsense but it is a, just a fun look of what would have happened and oh, and I did take it quite seriously and so did you regarding um, the alternative timeline and just didn't pluck things out of the air try to work out as if you listen to these timelines you'll hear the reasoning behind how we came to the conclusions but there was one major flaw in our thinking though wasn't there Rob regarding uh, episode three as it was of the what if series there was indeed and it was the it was the Champions League question because in our alternative timeline Nigel Pearson had, had stayed on as as Leicester manager uh, and we sort of calculated roughly um that Leicester City would just about have managed to qualify for the Champions League in the season that in reality we won it um and then we said well the next season then we might as well talk about whether the Champions League um, progression would would have would have gone as well, uh, but we kind of glossed over the fact that finishing in a different league position in um, that 2015-16 season would have meant that we were significantly lower down in in the seedings and and the pots for the Champions League draw, so we wouldn't have come out in a group um, that we said was relatively straightforward. Um, and therefore, we wouldn't have progressed 
well, we might not have progressed to then play Sevilla in the in the round of sixteen and Atletico in the quarterfinals. So uh, you've got some more details there in that email. But like you say, we did we did our best to cover as many bases as possible. But that was uh, an oversight for us. But thankfully, this uh, particular listener hasn't got on our backs. They've actually helped us out, taken some time, and basically become the Champions League fixture supercomputer. Yes, it was it was a really good email, actually. Uh, many thanks to Dan from uh, York. Uh, we said we were going to name him, but there you go. Uh, mentioned plenty of other things about the podcast, saying it's really good, and this, that, and the other. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. If you are a, a long-time listener, or maybe you've just started listening to the podcast, do send uh, an email through for podcast at gmail.com. Um, it doesn't... You can put on there if you don't want it written out, uh, reading out... <laughs> read out <laughs> professional broadcaster uh, read out on air not a problem but um basically what he's done um Leicester were only a pot one side only in pot one because they were league champions because what happened in our alternative timelines not trying to give anything away but it didn't quite work out that way so uh, what has happened here is that Dan has actually predicted that Leicester would have been drawn actually in a group with Juventus, Porto, PSV and obviously then Leicester um, because we would have been uh, way down in, in terms of the pots and then what uh, he said is he said it would be interesting what we would think actually Rob what Leicester would have done um, and actually has us as runners up which I suppose if you look at that group Juve, Porto, PSV, Leicester you can say that we would have beat Porto because we did um, PSV, Juve it's going to be very difficult to finish top of those so maybe getting the better of PSV over the two games would have maybe put us in second place if that's the case then along with the other groups that he's made up in this alternative timeline, uh, we could easily have played the top side of Group C, which could easily have been Barcelona. So imagine that, Barcelona in a game in the first knockout stage, whether they would have beaten Barcelona? Probably not overall. But it was very interesting to actually point that out because when I first saw the email, I thought, oh no, we've done something, not we've done something wrong, but uh, it's, a, it's a real flaw in our kind of timeline. But... Thanks to Tom, he's actually worked out that we would have still had a, an amazing run and we would have got uh, to a game against Barcelona starting at the King Power, the first leg. Who knows? Who knows what could have happened? But uh, but he also says, uh, keep up the good work. And uh, he particularly enjoyed the O'Neill what-if as well. Did go into a bit of detail, really, actually, on that uh, O'Neill one because uh, in terms of players signing, I think I went into a into a rabbit hole and carried on, basically. I really did uh, create a, an alternative timeline in terms of uh, signing on fees and all sorts. It went a bit football manager, but never mind. But anyway, thanks for the email. And again, if you want to email us, it's for fox8podcast.gmail.com. Absolutely anything at all. Questions, uh, advice what do you want to hear on the uh, on the podcast we've been going now for over five years and we do stick to the same format pretty much it's not planned we do just basically sit down hopefully in the same room in the not too distant future but we sit down and just basically chat about what's been going on and more than likely it was be reporting on what we've seen at the king power stadium through commentating on the games at leicester but it's not been the case so get in contact with us at FFS Pod on Twitter, FFS Pod, Fox 8 Podcast. And you can also find us on Facebook as well. But, Rob, things to discuss regarding football right now. Now, because nothing's happening, I don't think we can really go into too much detail because we know as much as everyone what's been going on in terms of talks between the FA and the clubs, and some clubs don't want to be playing these games on neutral grounds and some fans want the season to be voided and some people want them to play when it's safe some other fans just actually can't be bothered with it and some people think that actually talking about football at this time is not the thing to be doing um so rob how how are you in terms of football and what what's your thoughts on the general conversation regarding football taking place, how you feel about that in the first place, but also with this neutral ground, it's not really an idea because it's actually the plan of what the FA wants and what's going to go ahead. At the time of recording, uh, it is a Wednesday, so we're looking at the Monday next week, uh, which is the 11th as the day where I'm aware that they're going to have a big kind of meeting regarding this. 
and at the moment they need I think it's um, 13 clubs for the all clear and there's a lot of clubs I think it's eight at the moment who are looking at maybe voting against this and you can pretty much for sure know which eight they are basically the bottom six and then probably two who are fighting for Europe um what are your thoughts then Rob because I, I'd imagine that you've spoken to people regarding this and I think you would have heard the same as me where people are just not really interested in in football restarting at the moment there's there's bigger things afoot I think so there's, there's a few arguments for it a few arguments against which is partly the reason why nobody is is any clearer and and there may be a majority one way in favour of or against football resuming but if there is it's it's only a slim one the the sort of the positives if you start with those are there are certain sort of feel good factors involved with football there's a reason why it's globally the most popular game um there's a reason why it's the most watched game is because it's entertaining and you know for for those of us that are lucky enough to have a fairly comfortable lifestyle we get to enjoy it as part of our our sort of weekend but you know so, some people find it a real release if they if they're struggling at work or you know they've got issues or whatever that they, they it's a, a big sort of mental health booster really the sense of belonging at a football club the, the sort of riding the highs and lows that kind of thing um but the negatives especially in this country at the moment without this podcast never has and never will be political i'm not going to force any political opinions on anybody because mine are as ill-informed as anybody else's but in this country at the moment i don't think football is is necessarily needed because we are really as a nation struggling to deal with this with coronavirus in comparison to some other nations where talks of getting sport back up and running are far more advanced for example today Germany announced that the Bundesliga will resume this month behind closed doors but nationally they're dealing with coronavirus better than we are Um, and in sort of typical German efficient style they've already tested everybody sort of staff player wise to do with the Bundesliga and had only 10 confirmed cases of coronavirus Um, they've got the necessary planning health and safety in place to limit the amount of people around a match day including obviously playing it behind closed doors uh, but all the personnel that would necessarily need to be there has been really stripped back protective equipment the latest medical advice blah 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 I don't think England's anywhere near that kind of situation at the moment so that's why it's almost a futile thought no matter how much good it would do for people's well-being to to be able to have something to look forward to on the weekend again um especially with the fact that so many people who are furloughed or or been made redundant or you know are not working at the moment sometimes the days can merge together i'm working one day a week hello hello (laughs) waving my Um, hands here case study yes you exactly um, I'm working one day a week in school at the moment and four days a week from home. And sometimes I have to check what day of the week it is. So to have a little re-sense of normality would be a positive thing. But I just don't think safety-wise, um, even behind closed doors, I don't think that our country is anywhere near getting football back up and running at the moment. I would, I, You know, if you took away all of the scientific and political conversations and it was just a case of do you want football back, my answer to that, of course, is yes. But there are so many other permutations and and things to consider at the moment um we're still locked inside our own houses let's be perfectly honest so let's start taking some baby steps getting somewhere near back towards normality first from where i'm sitting and i'm one of those people who have basically been inside a house or obviously outside for the one hour of daily exercise etc but i've not worked personally since the 17th of march which I'd imagine would be along the same lines as, as many people. I, first of all, I have not a problem, but it's annoying in a way for me when people, first of all, go, I don't want to talk about football because of what's happening elsewhere. Okay, that's fine, but don't blame others for talking about football First of all, because it's an industry where people actually earn money and earn a living. So there are people away from actually the players and the immediate staff who actually earn a living through football. Again, 
waving hands, etc. But I understand where some people are coming from in terms of that because they want to. There's bigger things. There are bigger things. But it doesn't mean that we can't still um, try and get the game back underway. Okay. I don't like the idea of um, neutral grounds and all that sort of thing. Okay. Personally, I just don't like it. The one problem I have, which is the the kind of rush to get this season finished because they're understanding that the season following this is going to start in August. Well, that is plainly not going to happen. There's no way the next season is going to be starting in August. There's no way spectators are going to be anywhere near football stadiums for the foreseeable future. So we're not going to be there on August the 14th or whatever at the King Power Stadium with 32,000 fans for the start of the new season. So they're rushing to get this season finished with absolutely no guarantee on next season being starting in, in August. So for me, there shouldn't be a rush to finish this season. I am 100% behind the fact that this season needs to finish and they need to play the games. And that's all the games. I'm not talking about just the Premier League. I'm talking about the Football League. I'm talking about non-league, which I've mentioned before. I'm talking about the Women's Super League. I'm talking about the Champions League, the FA Cup, which of course Leicester is still in. It all needs to be played. And it all in my eyes, can be played over a more elongated period of time. At the moment, they're looking at these 10 neutral grounds and the plan is to be playing, say, three or four games a day, different times, so they can be televised, etc., along with championship games to get the season finished. Okay, if they get the season finished, then we can readdress the Football League and the Premier League with the new season whenever it can start. Does it start in August, September, October? We'll cross that hurdle when we get there. That is one option. But I... I can just see the case of next season being completely pushed back a whole year and we're playing these nine games along with all the other games over the course of, say, December through until, say, April with fans in the stadium. Basically call it now and say there's going to be no football for the foreseeable future. That would be my preferable answer. But then again, you know, what do I know? That's that's in theory. You know, that's just what I think. Um I'd like to see the football back, and don't get me wrong, if the games are played on, on neutral grounds, etc., then I will be watching, I'll be cheering on Leicester, and if that's the plan, that's the plan. I I just like the idea of them just cutting it now and saying, let's not rush this. Let's try and get football back when you can have supporters in the ground, and that will be for months and months and months and months. But let's not try and rush this thing so we can start next season in August, which is just way off the scale of what I think. I, I just can't see it happening. European competition starting next year. Clubs travelling abroad to, I mean, you're talking early stages of the Europa League, Champions League as well. It's it's just not going to happen. No, of course it isn't. And I think that's something that people are starting to realise is the timescale that this is happening over. Because... Although it seems in our country, specifically, the lockdown came relatively quickly. We were looking from afar at, at coronavirus. The numbers were creeping up slowly. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, and we're all locked, da- locked down. It's not going to be a simple case of on Sunday, Boris Johnson announces measures to lift a, a lockdown and ease it a little bit. And all of a sudden, we can start popping down to the King Power Stadium again. And all of a sudden, we can start getting on international flights again. It's it's going to take months, maybe even years, to get back to the sort of freedom of movement, freedom of gathering that that we enjoyed before coronavirus. So, to be to, sort of football fans, etc., to be clamouring for answers and decisions to be made when we're in what week seven of lockdown. If you take this little window of time in the overall um, sort of upheaval that coronavirus has caused and is going to cause, this is a tiny, tiny, tiny speck of time. So I completely agree with you, Pete. There is there is and shouldn't be uh, a rush to to make decisions here to get football back on when logistically and from a health and safety point of view, it's it's 
it's beyond our reach at the moment. And neutral venues, you know, part of me can see the 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 drawback there and and why certain teams would oppose that. But I think any venue is not going to have any fans in it anyway. You know, if they were saying we play at neutral venues and you had, say, six home games and three away games left as part of your nine games or whatever there is left of the season, then if you're a relegation-threatened club, or even if you're Leicester, you would say, well, I'm not really a fan of the neutral venue because we've got six games there where our home supporters can be behind us. You know, Leicester are very strong at home. Um, but these neutral venues aren't going to have anybody in them anyway. So if it does come come back and the neutral venues is, is the sticking point, uh, I can can't really see why it would be. It's an empty football stadium at the end of the day. It's interesting that some of the sides down at the bottom of the league who are complaining that they're going to be playing in neutral grounds because they have home advantage in a number of games remaining left in the season. Well, it didn't actually work out for them very well when they're actually playing in front of their own fans originally. But uh, but there we go. Um, th- there's plenty more in the podcast, by the way. So if you are, oh no, they're not going to be going on about this the whole time. We've got probably the most difficult ask of our listeners and a, a, a basically the greatest team with a massive asterisk across that um, later on. So stand by for that. It's a task that will take you a long time to try and figure out because it's taken me a long time and you, Rob, to try and figure out our team. And all the details will be later on in the podcast. So stand by for that. We'll just stick with this walk for a, a little a little longer. And we'll focus on Leicester, Rob, because how will, as a football club, Leicester be affected by what's happening? And uh, if you are a follower on Twitter of uh, what I highly recommended, Swiss Ramble, um, basically it's a guy who follows football finance in extreme detail, but puts it across in a very, very easy to understand way. Pretty much I can understand it, so anyone else can. And... He's basically been forecasting which clubs, basically taking the most amount of money through revenue that is on match days, that's on TV, puts them into interesting graphs and previously what they've had and et cetera, et cetera. And he's worked out that the actual side who's going to lose the most amount of money in terms of total revenue overall um, through this idea is actually Leicester. Uh, it will be, in terms of percent, uh, 30%, which is just ahead of Burnley, Wolves, Brighton, uh, Sheffield United, Newcastle United. I think it's around about £53 million. Pounds. Um, and it's just because of where Leicester sit in the table of money earned through TV rights as a percentage, through the gates and through hospitality as a percentage. And because we're kind of slap bang in the middle, it means that overall we are pushed up that league if you're just looking at and most people are bemoaning the fact that tv has a very important role to play um well bournemouth 88 percent of their turner is through tv so they are basically held by whatever tv say and whatever sky say because they're the major rights holders of the premier league it's just very very interesting and if we look at next season for example which sides will be harmed by maybe playing a whole season possibly behind closed doors. You would look at someone like Bournemouth, for example, uh, if they do stay in the Premier League, then it wouldn't actually harm them because, again, 88% of their money is generated through the TV deal. Leicester would be, again, mid-table. You look at the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham especially, they would lose out because of their brands banking new stadiums and all the money that they do generate through the turnstiles and through corporate facilities. The side that has the most amount of fans in their ground, Manchester United, of course, will lose out. But because they generate so much money elsewhere, then that kind of get gets kind of um, m- mopped up by the money they make through shirt sales all around the world. But if you're talking just about football, Rob, I think Leicester will be okay. First of all, I think if they play on neutral grounds, I think Leicester as a football club and as a side would be more than up for these games, which I can see being nil-nil and 1-1, but I can see Leicester, just through the players they've got and the, and, and the youth in the side, being pros- and also the fact that they're playing for Champions League football, being generally more up for it than mid-table Premier League sides who just want, who probably don't want it to actually carry on, they just want it to be finished. Um, 
But then looking forward, if transfer fees are going to drop and if player movement is going to drop, look at the side we've got. It's a very young side with potential moves away from the club being muted over the next, say, two or three years for a number of players. That's probably going to be halted in the immediate, say, six months to 12 months, which is great for Leicester. Maybe someone like Chilwell could possibly move on, but whether then that would be a big loss with, say, James in the background. It's... um. It's, it's just an interesting scenario for Leicester. I think it could not be an advantage, but I don't think Leicester will be disrupted by what's happening as much as other clubs and also the fact that we do have the owners that we do. Yeah, we've got positive pressure at the minute, I think, at Leicester. The, the pressure is, is there sort of firm but relatively gentle from Brendan Rodgers on, on the players in terms of pushing them to be the best that they can be, pushing them to improve... Um, their performance levels and their results. But the positive pressure also there is the enticement of currently occupying a Champions League position and winning enough games between now and the end of the season, whenever, if ever that does come, to, to qualify for the Champions League. So Leicester have almost would go into those games with a spring in their step, regardless of where they were played. Um, whereas, you know, the teams at the bottom that are opposing that kind of thing are, are under a significant amount of negative pressure at the moment. Uh, especially, I think that is now intensified by the fact that football finances are going to take a hit. They're going to become more unstable. Um, so falling out of the Premier League will probably be a bigger financial issue this season, if the season gets completed, than it ever has been before. Because you would think that in football there'll be less money around to support with parachute payments if you needed to, as a lot of relegated clubs traditionally do, offload a couple of your best or better players for significant transfer fees in order to sort of stave off some of the financial um, instability. You're going to struggle because, like you say, player movement and the cost of that is going to be lower. So I completely agree with you, and in, in it's it will be a positive initially that would be probably likely to keep hold of a few players. But what if a big club decides, okay, they can only afford one or two transfers in a particular window, and their number one target is a Leicester player, such as Chilwell, Madison, Tielemans maybe, um. And they offer what what would have been in pre-coronavirus market a very derogatory offer. Let's just say, for example, you put somebody like Madison around something like a 70, 75 million pound mark, possibly. I'm just plucking figures from out of my head before coronavirus. Let's say that the value of footballers as assets drops even by sort of 20, 30 million in, in Madison's case. And all of a sudden, Leicester only fetch 40-ish million for him. Then when the economy and the football economy recovers, which it will do because football's a global financial mega power, and all of a sudden transfer fees get reinflated, then Leicester City's attempt to rebuild, replace or improve the squad would cost a lot more than the sort of net worth of what they were kind of forced to sell before before that, if that makes sense. Essentially, you're selling players that are worth a lot more money on the cheap because the market's crashed. Then the market recovers and you're then out of pocket because you've got to pay more to replace them. So it would be interesting to see what happens over the next few years. And ultimately, we don't know what's happening in the next few days, let alone the next few years. So it'll be interesting times on and off the pitch, I think. It would be. I just think this, the settled nature of the squad, I mentioned James Justin earlier, as a possible replacement for Chilwell if he goes, but also the club might decide to actually cash in. They might say, well, here we go, Chelsea. Um, if you want to pay £60 million for Ben Chilwell, then, then you can have him. We've got a player who can play in that position along with Christian Fuchs and we'll cash in and look at the squad and go, well, we might pick up one or two players but overall, we'll we'll cash in the sixty million. Remember, Leicester made a loss of was it twenty five million? Say uh, last season, 
Um, I know we've got the Maguire money coming through, but they did spend a lot over the last few years. So they they might cash in. The fact that we have that settled nature of a squad where there's no real holes and there's backup in many places. Leicester, I think, are in a good position if you know the hatches were battened down in the Premier League for the foreseeable future. But on to our greatest Leicester side. Now, Rob, this is difficult. My question is, what is the greatest Leicester City side of all time that has never played with another player in that side? This has been very mentally taxing and and I've got to say that you have done the majority of the legwork here. I can't take much credit for it, mainly because when we suggested recording part of a podcast based on this, um, I thought, right, Pete's got um, fossils and foxes and I haven't. And and that was basically the deciding factor in the in in you building the majority <laughs> of this team and me making some contributions. Let's make sure that people completely understand the premise here, because we have issued greatest Leicester teams or greatest Leicester squads in the past that people have decided not to read the small print on. Uh, earlier on today, actually, I was looking back at at similar sort of ideas that we've had. Um, greatest Leicester play uh, Leicester squad by squad number, you know, and there were some some interesting players in there, you know, Spencer Pryor being one of the standout players um, that I noted that, that made it into the top 25, simply because he was probably the best player that ever wore number 17. This is about selecting 11 players who have all represented Leicester City, but have never played on in this, in the same team as any of their other teammates. So at no point can they have been teammates at Leicester City. At no point can they have played in a match, in a competitive match, together, on the same pitch, wearing the same blue Leicester shirt. And that, especially when you're trying to make sure that you get all of, or as many of the best players that you would select in an all-time Leicester eleven as possible, the overlap makes things very, very difficult, as you are about to find out. And I think Leicester are one of the worst clubs to do this because they've had success in a very short number of years between 19, say, 20 and the current squad. So you would take the 20s, you would take probably the late 50s through to the mid-60s, and then you would go into the late 60s and 70s, um, and then you would have spits and spatters of the 80s, but you would then go to probably the O'Neill era. And then you would go to the modern era. Just speaking about the modern era, again, if you pick Jamie Vardy, you basically can't pick anyone who he's played with. You can't pick Riyad Mahrez. You can't pick anyone who won the Premier League. You can't pick anyone who plays today. Evans, Soyuncu, Schmeichel, Wes Morgan. Again, if you pick Schmeichel or Wes Morgan, that would apply because they've played with another member. You can't pick a player who has played with another player on your team. It's really difficult because if you had a side, let's just say Manchester United who's had pretty much continued success throughout their history, then you could maybe pick one player per decade, for example. That's one way of doing it. It's extremely difficult. And we've got a team that changed just before we went on air, Rob. We have, and there are some huge names to miss out of this team based on those reasons that you just explained there. There are we, we talked um, in the first part of this podcast about having a settled squad. Uh, you look at the length of time that club captain and Premier League winning skipper Wes Morgan's been at the club. Cancels a lot of players out. Jamie Vardy's been at the club, what, eight years now? Cancels a lot of players out. Schmeichel's been here even longer. Longest serving player, aside from Andy King, I guess. Cancels a lot of players out. And... You know, every time a name was coming into our heads that that wasn't in that initial eleven, 
it was it was a bit of a struggle um, because they all had some kind of overlap. Uh, and when you sent through the sort of perspective one to me earlier this week, I saw some some dates, some some, some large gaps in in terms of years of coverage that I thought surely surely he's missed somebody from there that we can shoehorn in. Um, you know, there's there was a big gap I noticed between 1990 and 1997, for example, but you've still got the issue of overlaps, even with. Um, somebody like Steve Walsh. And then I also looked and I thought, well, he's got nobody from 2000, well, 2016 to present. You've got some Premier League title winners still in the squad or that have just left. And they're not in there. And no matter what configuration I tried to come up with, I couldn't find a way of getting any of those players who would make it or would be knocking on the door of a best Leicester eleven ever into this particular team, which is what makes it so difficult. But you made a last-minute change that you believe, with extensive page flicking in Fossils of Foxes, has actually worked. Yes, there's a few absolute nightmare players. And essentially, because of the position in the side, we can't not have them in there. So the goalkeeper is absolutely bang on in terms of nightmare, because there's three. There's Cashbush Michael, there's Gordon Banks, and there's Peter Shilton. Okay, other goalkeepers get some mention, but they are the three. Okay, Schmeichel rules everyone out from, what, 2011, say, all the way through to today. So everyone who he's played with cannot be selected if Schmeichel's in. Banks, 59 to 67, again, just catches the, 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 the end of the 50s, and also then the 60s through to 67, all those cup finals, etc. Um, and then you got Shilton who does the same from the late 60s through to in the mid-70s. So it's very difficult. But we're going to start with the goalkeeper. And the goalkeeper is Gordon Banks. 61, 63 cup finalist, also 65 in the League Cup, won the 64 League Cup. Um, Gordon Banks is in. 1959 to 67, World Cup winner, 66. We know who Gordon Banks is. On to the defence. Now, the defence, for me, was the issue. This was the most difficult one, Rob. Um, and the formation we've gone with through this late change is 3-4-3. Originally, it was 3-5-2, which is quite apt for Leicester. But we're going to go with 3 Four, three, And the first defender we're going to have in there is that problem period you mentioned in the 90s. Now, Steve Walsh covers 1986 through to the year 2000. So anyone who played with Walsh cannot be in there. Okay. So Walsh just can't be picked. Okay. It, it rules out too many. But we're going to go with one player from that 90s, late 90s side, Rob. And it's going to be Matt Elliott. 1997 to 2005, League Cup winner in 2000, over 250 appearances for the club. Matt Elliott is that player from that era. So there's no Heskey, there's no Cotty, there's no Izzet, there's no Lennon, there's no Savage, there's no Keller, Flowers, Tags, Frank Sinclair. There's none of them because we've gone with Matt Elliott. Yeah, and you know we've we've had a, a long and illustrious list of centre back leaders. So to to know that Steve Walsh hasn't made it, uh, but Matt Elliott has, um, and Matt Elliott really being the one that sort of took on the the captaincy from Steve Walsh, uh, is important. I think because you know there'd be very little point in doing this if you had an a team of average or slightly better than average footballers. We've actually got one of the best leaders and most successful leaders, arguably, in in Leicester's modern history. So, you know, a World Cup winner in goal and one of our most notable captains in defence. It's going well so far. Now, the second player in defence, we're going back to the Foss era, okay, and which is incredibly interesting looking back to that era just a word by the way there's um, John Hutchison the official 
club historians doing these videos on Facebook brilliant videos really interesting going through each kind of like decade for example really really good so make sure you do look at them you can find them on the official leicester website fantastic make sure you're watching those and we're back in the foss era this was the late change right because i was it, it was it was difficult first of all i had matt gillis as one of the defenders who won the second division but was more notable as a manager and if you go back to the would Leicester or what would have happened if Leicester won the double in 63 Matt Gillis through all Maurice my estimation of the guy has just gone through the roof I think he, what a, a fantastic manager he was at Leicester but he's not in there he's been cut we've gone with a player who I'm pretty sure most people have not have heard of he's called Henry Ashby and he played between two, uh, 1905 and uh, 1908 um, he broke his leg. Actually, he was a he was a fullback, so he can play in this uh, in this way. And he was regarded at the time. I'm not just plucked a player out of thin air. He was regarded at the time as the best player to have ever played for Leicester at that time. Um, and he basically got compensation through a benefit game, but he also had concerts for him uh, in the city. So it shows how highly regarded he was. Uh, as a person and as a player because to have a benefit match and also concerts throughout the city as well to raise money for him and his family just shows you what they thought of him he was fought in the war actually the Boer war as a uh, as a youngster uh, before his uh, career at Leicester uh, he then emigrated after um, he left Leicester his um, his uh, son actually was a, a prisoner of war and 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 there's there's plenty to his history but um yeah, Henry Ashby goes in there, and it's the line that he was the best player to have ever played for the club at that period, which really caught my eye. I've seen it in two different places, so um, I, I'm I think he can get a place because in this side, if anyone did it from uh, for any football club, there's going to be a player from from 19 Dickity Doo, and this is the player I've picked. Yeah, of course, of course there has to be, and if and if you've got actual reports there stating that people believed he was the best player that Leicester had seen. That's that's quite an accolade considering when was he nineteen oh five? So the club's already been in existence over twenty years. Um and for him to be the best player that's that's played for Leicester at that time is is quite the the statement and and you know, football's a completely different game nowadays, but this is across the entire history of the football club. And if he was a standout player back then regardless of the fact that I've never heard of him, you've never heard of him, and probably nobody listening to this podcast ever, well, why would you have heard of him? Um, but I think that that statement, and also his, his story as well, means that he, he'll flag up, you know when we post this on Twitter or Facebook and and people just see the, the layout of the team, he'll be probably one of the, those that everyone's like, who? You know, when an opposition substitute comes on when we were playing in League One or something, he had no idea who it is, but... I think you've explained it beautifully, Pete, and I'm more than happy to have him in our team. There's a very good reason as well, because pretty much, what, five or six years afterwards, then there's the war, and then you go into the 20s, where Leicester were very successful, one player in in particular. Um, So write these down. Banks is the goalkeeper, Matt Elliott, and uh, Henry Ashby in defence. And I'll, I'll leave this next one open, Rob, for you, because it's either Johnny Evans or... Ricardo Pereira. Um, essentially, in terms of the years signed, it doesn't actually matter because it can be one or the other. So which out of Johnny Evans or Ricardo Pereira? In this formation, you would probably say Evans. But it's up to you. So I'm going to leave the final decision. Who is it, Evans or Pereira? I don't like you giving me decisions to make. Uh, if you're true to the formation, yes, you would pick Evans because it's a three at the back. Um, and Evans has certainly had a big impact on on the club in in terms of whoever he's partnered. He's made them look at an awful lot better, uh, and he's still performing at the highest level um, despite his experience. But I just there's something about Ricardo Pereira who that that stands out as the calibre of, of player that Leicester City fans, I think, can hope to enjoy seeing in Leicester shirts for, for many years to come. He's athletic, he's technically very good, he's committed, um, and he's already won a, a Player of the Season award 
in his short time at the club. So in the formation, I'd I'd go with Evans. But if you, if you're picking in terms of best player, uh even though I'm an amateur centre back myself, I'd probably just have to lean towards Ricardo. Yeah, cool. That's that's fine. Yeah, so Ricardo Pereira in the side. So that's the years eighteen to twenty covered. So the defenders: Elliot, Ashby, and Pereira. I suppose Elliot plays in the centre, and uh, Pereira one side, and Ashby the other side. So that works out quite well. Okay, on to the midfielders. So we've got four midfielders. Um, now it really does help if a player has only played for one year because because then obviously it frees up plenty of other players to be selected in midfield we have got Esteban Cambiasso the years 2014 2015 and i will also throw in next to him Angolo Kanté for the years 2015 2016 brilliant for the fact for this individual best team ever the fact that they both only played for for one year it's a shame at the time because it would have been lovely to see them play for longer so Cambiasso and Kante 14-15 15-16 they didn't play together fantastic yeah and I'm very happy with that because from memory when we picked our best ever Leicester 11s with no limitations whatsoever I'm pretty sure Cambiasso and Kante were both in mine despite the fact that they were both one season wonders if you like and I completely agree with you it's we would love to have seen more of them but two world-class you've got to say central midfielders um two of the best central midfielders that have ever played for Leicester so in they go in they go next to them in midfield we're into the 80s and Gary McAllister so McAllister 85 to 90 quarter of a million pound Ali Mocklin came at the same time from Motherwell brilliant pass of the ball we know Gary Mack over 200 appearances for the football club and he covers those years 1985 to 1990 yeah great player great career worthy of his of his place in there you know when you first put him in I thought he was going to overlap with a striker that we won't mention because no spoilers and that that is getting into the team but uh, I, I trust that you've done your research and that that hasn't and won't come back to shoot you in the foot. No, fingers crossed. And our final midfielder is Keith Weller. Now, Keith Weller would go into many people's best ever Leicester team, and I think there's a lot of people out there who are probably happy that he's made it into this one. Covers the years 1971 to 79. So that era, the the flamboyant showboaters of the 70s that didn't really go on to do anything in terms of winning anything but they were they were the flamboyant sides so your welly your worthingtons um you whip with your Birchnells, all those lots um and it's keith weller who gets the nod in midfield 71 to 79 so our midfield can be asso kante mcallister and weller for a bit of width a lot of width yeah very stylish footballer um just a question, Pete, in terms of why you chose Weller. Um, was it simply a fact that all of those players that you just mentioned there all fit the dates and, and Weller for you was was the best of them? Or did a, a couple of them pose other potential issues? There's, there's, there is kind of a, a cut-off with the side from the 60s and the 70s because when Leicester got relegated in 1969 after losing the cup final to Manchester City, it then took them a couple of seasons before bouncing back. So there's there are one or two crossovers. There's plenty of players who didn't make the cuts who many people would be saying, what about them and this, that and the other. So Worthington, you would have probably down as a forward because because he was. So it, it wouldn't fit the, the position. Um, uh, Whitworth at the back. Again, we've got the defence. Birch, I just think A, well as the best player out of those. Um, but also, if you're talking about other players who maybe we've missed out, uh, David Nish, for example, um, he wouldn't be included because he played with, um, he started in 1966, so he played with Gordon Banks. Uh, Graham Cross, I mean, 599 appearances, so 1960 to, to 76, so he covers Banks and also he covers Weller, so you can't have David Nish in there. Um, there's, there's plenty of players who do miss out because of those you've got to have some so I think Banks and Weller would be in many people's 
best ever Leicester side. So that's why I've plumped for them. Yeah, and I think that's one way that you've got to approach this with it being so difficult. You have got to find those standout players and do everything you can to shove other players out of this makeshift squad to make sure that they go in there. So there will be sacrifices. I think, for what it's worth, Pete, I think you're doing a sterling job so far. Honestly, it is difficult. That's a good thing to do, actually. Get those players down first and try and build a side around them. But when you're doing this, you'll find out it's a great thing to do as well because you go through all sorts of players, different eras, it's, it's, and also any age as well. So um, if you've got parents or, or maybe you've got youngsters who, who don't listen to the podcast, try and give them this task and say, look, try and pick a, a best ever Leicester side. And maybe they're, maybe they're say, a, a teenager. Um, who have only seen Leicester in the last, say, six or seven years and all the success, and try and say to them, pick a Leicester side, the best ever Leicester side that's never played with each other. And it, it, it will force them then to look back on the club's history. Um, so at the moment, we've got Gordon Banks in goal. We've got Henry Ashby, Matt Elliott, and Ricardo Pereira. Midfield, Cambiasso, Kante, McAllister, and Weller. So we've got three forwards. And we're going to go with... And this was one of the changes... Because if you're looking at forwards in Leicester's history, there's one that stands out. And he's not made the side. And he made our greatest ever Leicester team. He made our greatest ever Leicester top three in terms of players. And he was actually number one. Jamie Vardy's not there. Um, because we've got, as we said, Ricardo Pereira, also Esteban Cambiaso and N'Golo Kante. So there's no Vardy in this side. That was a problem. That was a big issue for me. But I just couldn't put him in there because of, again, Cambiasso, Kante, and either Evans or Pereira at the back. So to make up for that, I thought, well, who are the next on the list? And there's two who a lot of people would not have seen who are right at the top in terms of goals for Leicester. And the first is Arthur Chandler. Between 1923 and 1934... Leicester's greatest goal scorer, two hundred what seventy three goals off the top of my head. I think it is for Arthur Chandler in that side that finished second um, and nearly won the league in the late nineteen twenties, which was part of the uh, uh, the latest video actually by uh, by John Hutchinson on the uh, Leicester website. So again, make sure you take a look at that. They came third in in twenty eight, and then in nineteen twenty nine finished second, scored an amazing amount of goals, but he covers those years nineteen. 23 to 34 that rules out the likes of Sepp Smith um, if you're looking for him Adam Black I tried to fit in as well who made so many appearances 550 appearances but he played pretty much in the same era 1920 to 35 as Chandler so Chandler's in there but also because not just because of his goal scoring but also his his career afterwards he was at the club for such a long time uh, in many many different roles and there's so many pictures of the club in the 60s and 70s where Chandler's there as either a coach or kitman or or whatever he's still at the club in one way shape or form so Arthur Chandler goes in as one of the three forwards and at the same time I'm going to go for the other Arthur as well Arthur Rowley this was the big change Arthur Rowley what a an amazing record, 265 goals in 321 games. What a strike rate. And that's in the 1950s. So we're not talking back in the day in the 20s or even Leicester Foss era. In the years 1950 to 1958. So he finishes just before Banks arrives. So he's 50 to 58, Banks 59. So he slots in perfectly in this side. He's obviously after Chandler. What a great goal scorer. Again, 265, just behind uh, Chandler in terms of goals for Leicester. But Rowley and Chandler, two of the three forwards in our greatest side to have never played with each other. Some serious firepower there. You, you're kind of wondering and worrying when we've said on this podcast for in, in for many um, reasons that Jamie Vardy is up there with uh, amongst the best players ever to pull on a Leicester shirt and he doesn't make it into this team mainly because of the dates obviously but you've done very well to get in two of the other uh, incredible goal scorers from Leicester City's history and, and you know the you talk about putting in a player like 
Henry Ashby, who nobody had heard of and I hadn't heard of until about 10 minutes before we started recording this. Um, but those two players are players from a long, long, long time ago that many Leicester fans will still, even if they don't know their story or why they know their name, many Leicester fans know their names. Uh, and they are, you know, we're talking best part of 100 years since they they, they took to the field for, for Leicester. And it's incredible that their legacy still exists so strongly at the club. Um, and I must admit, I haven't I haven't seen that particular uh, episode with John Hutchinson, the club historian. Um, so I will go and take a look at that because I think it's... I was going to say important. Important is the wrong word. It's nice, isn't it, to, to reminisce and to look back at periods of the club's history that we weren't around for and that have made such a significant uh, have played such a significant part in the formation of the club that we have today i think also it's very important to acknowledge the fact that we've got two of the best goal scorers in the history of english football and also how underappreciated they were at the time in terms of national recognition as well it's uh and to have two players to have scored so many goals it, it's quite remarkable that actually in the period of time where they were playing for leicester they didn't actually win the top flights to have a, a player scoring 30 to 40 goals every single season they play 265 goals 273 goals it is ridiculous but the final player on the list is mr gary lineker who slots in perfectly now i've got gary lineker playing between the years 1979 and 1985 now in 1979 rob we know gary lineker so it doesn't you know no explanation needed why he's in the side but in 1979 he makes his debut for Leicester okay and he makes his debut I have it on the 1st of January okay um Keith Weller who many people will be shouting now was in the squad at the time he was but he didn't play that day um I've got Keith Weller playing the next game so Lineker plays and makes his debut on the 1st. Weller's not in the side. The next game's on the 20th. Lineker's not in the side. Weller is. And then for the rest of the season, I've got Keith Weller as not playing. That was his final game for the football club. And then Lineker carries on and plays, as I said, for the next, what, five or six years. So I've got that as not in the same side which there you go that's the that's that's what we're looking for but also he plays up until 1985 where he gets sold then for 800,000 to Everton and in that same summer Leicester buy Gary McAllister you'd imagine using the money um and Ali Mocklin at the same time for 250,000 so McAllister and Lineker never played with each other so that's why Lineker slots in nicely so Chandler Lineker and Rowley as the three forwards that is goals it is goals isn't it and that is probably the closest well you can't get any closer really other than if Lineker had come on to replace Keith Weller in his last game in a Leicester shirt one game apart you can't really get much closer than that and obviously those players will have trained together um, and were part of the Leicester squad at the same time but never actually touched a blade of grass in a competitive game co-presently you've done very very well there to squeeze those two in and hence why then you know if you haven't got fossils and foxes and you're going to attempt this at home good luck trying to clear all of these sort of timings really because the best you could probably get off the internet unless you really really trolled would be to know that that there was that they were both there in 1979 you know it's it's yeah, extremely it, close isn't it it, it is it, it the, the two games it was a home game against Oldham that Lineker made his debut and then the game after they played uh, Blackburn Rovers uh, again at home and I've got um, Mark Goodwin as being the player who came on that day so Lineker didn't come on in fact Lineker didn't play again for a, another say two and a bit months until the end of the season where he, he then carried on and played for the next five years uh, well and never played again so I 
basically they, they didn't they overlapped in terms of being in the same squad but they never played uh, a game for Leicester um, at the same time so once again Gordon Banks in goal 59-67 Elliot Ashby and Ricardo Pereira we'll go through the years again uh, Cambiasso Kante McAllister and Weller with Chandler Rowley and Lineker up front that is the for fuck's sake <laughs> best ever Leicester City side who have never played with another member of that greatest ever Leicester City side. Try it for yourself. It's really entertaining and it will be very frustrating. There's so many players who just overlap and you try and fit in and good luck to you. Again, those periods of time where you might be a fan of the Leicester side from the 70s, you can only have one because they all played for a pretty significant amount of time and even the likes of, say, David Nish going through from different eras and Graham Cross as well. Um, you might be a fan of the late 90s side um, and, again, they all pretty much played for that period of time. So you're going to have, is it, that's... The only player you can have in that side. You're not going to have Lennon or Savage or Heskey or whatever. Pick one and that's your player. If you really want Steve Walsh, that rules out anyone between 1986 and 2000. And we mentioned with Schmeichel and Vardy, etc. And Wes Morgan from the team that we know now. So try it. It's a very, very hard task. Um, the formation has to be a recognised formation. It can't be 2-5-3 or something crazy like that. Um, but try it. And reply to the post that you see on social media, either on Twitter at FFSPod, on Facebook. Just type in for Fox 8 Podcast and you can find us on there. Or you can email us your side if you want as well, for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com. Have a go. If you find any errors in what we've said, then by all means let us know. But I reckon that pretty much is fine. I can't see any problems with that. Um there you go. There's a nice little task for you to get a hold. If you haven't got the uh, of fossils and foxes, don't worry. You can pick your site out and have a look. You've got Wikipedia. You've got all sorts of um, sites which tell you when players played for, or you can just try yourself and maybe fact-check later on. So have a go. Make sure you get other people to have a go as well. I mentioned that age range thing earlier where if you've got a youngster, it's a great way for them to learn the history of the club and also for maybe someone who was around and supported the sides in the 60s and 70s. Again, they can write down their favourite players who they think and then all of a sudden they'll realise what a difficult task it actually is to create this side. So I think that's pretty good, Rob. I can't see any weak links. There's no player in that side where you kind of go hang on he's been kind of shoehorned in there apart from Mr Ashby but with the story surrounding him I couldn't find another defender there was only a period of time either after Elliot so you're talking between 2005 and 2014 when Cambiasso comes along but there's no real defender who you would put in and maybe a best old old you know but it doesn't really it, they would stand out. And also, there's a period of time between 1990 and Matt Elliott in 1997. The nearest player I got was Mike Whitlow. Um, but Whitlow, I think, he does overlap with Elliott only just. Uh, and again, Whitlow would actually stand out in that team. So uh, that's how we, that's where we got to. And uh, yeah, there's a nice little task for you. I will, ju I will end on one thing. Um... How are you watching um, The Last Dance on Netflix? No, I'm not. I haven't heard of it, to be perfectly honest. Okay, it's just a recommendation because, again, I've got nothing to do apart from pick these crazy Leicester sides and uh, and also watch TV. Really worth watching. It's um, it's basically about the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. They've got loads and loads of footage from the 90s. I think it's actually been under lock and key, basically behind the um, scenes footage of what happened. And essentially... They've sat down with all the big stars, and it get, you don't have to like basketball. I'm not a great basketball fan at all, but you don't have to like it to like this because it's the big side. It's the best side that anyone's seen for, for decades. You're talking Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman, etc., and it's about their last season, the last dance, and it focuses on how they tried to stay at the top for that final season, um, how elite athletes get through, and also, uh, where they came from, where they were drafted, their careers, 
but also about Jordan and about how famous he was, etc., and all the furore surrounding him in terms of being basically the most famous person or one of the most famous people on the planet at the time. It is fantastic. It's on Netflix. Make sure you give it a watch. It's called The Last Dance, and it's it's current. At the moment, they're releasing a couple of episodes every five days. If you hashtag on Twitter, The Last Dance, it comes up with a little ball actually afterwards. So that's how kind of current it is. You may have heard of it. Highly recommended. And also, it's interesting because... It's based in 1998, and it's a completely, it's a million miles away from what's going on at the moment. Obviously, the world's changed in the last few months and that, as we know. But it's pre-9-11, etc. It just looks like a different world, and it's very, very good. So there's my TV recommendation. Get picking your side. Send them in through Twitter, through Facebook, through email. See if you can beat our side, better our side, which I'm sure you can. And, uh, and get watching that, uh, that last dance, it's very good. <laughs>